0: Welcome, everyone, to the LearnFresh podcast. My name is Nick Monzi, CEO and co-founder of LearnFresh, and I'm joined by Calvin Seibert, our chief academic officer, my co-host, and affectionately and appropriately nicknamed the game changer of education. Changing the game. On this podcast,
1: we're going to talk about the intersection between education and community. How does the broader community provide value to the education sector, our schools, and out-of-school time programs? and what can education do to prepare students for the broader
0: world. In today's episode, we're taking stock of the pandemic's impact on education through a conversation with three educators from the Learn Fresh community, Denzel Smith, Robin
2: Seely, and Sean Patterson. We can't control the kids' environment when they're at home.
3: Go up to the right hand corner and you click this and then you do this and you add this and it's like, "Huh? What?" It
2: has been a
4: huge thing for me to be able to hear, really, to hear them for the first time participating in class. We'll take an honest look at the challenges faced by both students and teachers
1: in this moment, look at some of the positive developments in education, and talk about the types of support students and educators need right now, today on the Learn Fresh Podcast.
0: If you followed any education-related news over the course of the pandemic, you know that headlines have been bleak, as cities and states deal with shifting COVID-19 case counts, teacher shortages, and its tumultuous social and political landscape, students have faced intense obstacles to accessing quality education, ranging from a lack of internet to amplified mental health challenges. Educators, meanwhile, have been tasked with pivoting traditional instruction, addressing the heightened needs of students, and in some cases, teaching across both virtual and in-person settings, leaving them overworked and exhausted.
1: A report published by Education Research Organization, NWEA, stated that the public health, education, and economic damages inflicted by COVID-19 are likely to reinforce long-standing inequities that disproportionately affect Black, Latinx, and Native American students, as well as English learners and students with disabilities. While it's yet unclear to what extent the pandemic has impacted student outcomes in the past year. Initial research suggests that regression could be widespread and profound, particularly in math. In our conversation with Learn Fresh educators, we wanted to zero in on the challenges that students and teachers are facing with blended and virtual learning. Find out what, if any, silver linings there might be for education and talk about ways that the broader community can support students and teachers in this moment.
0: We spoke with this group in mid December of 2020, as the country was well on its way to the peak of the virus's second wave. It was also just four days before the first doses of the Pfizer coronavirus vaccine were administered to hospital workers and other essential staff across the U.S. As we published this in March of 2021, school reopening has become an issue of focus in the national conversation. The Biden administration had promised to open all K 8 public schools in the first 100 days of his presidency but has recently faced significant pressure from powerful teachers unions, which are pushing for stronger health and safety measures for teachers. As it currently stands, approximately half of all students are engaged in fully remote learning, with shifting guidelines from the CDC around the standards and benchmarks for reopening. There was hope that students could be widely returning to school in the first few months of 2021, but on the whole, it appears that reopening may be slowed. Regardless, one thing is clear, educators and students will be dealing with the ramifications of the pandemic beyond the school year.
2: My name is Denzel Smith. I teach right now in Camden, New Jersey. Yeah, I think uh, the most disruptive is that we can't control the kids' environment when they're at home. When they're in school, you know, that's, that's our sanctuary. That's our classroom. That's our building. When they're at home, that's, that's theirs. You know, we don't control if they get online, if their computer's broken, or if, you know, we can make the phone calls all we want. We could, you know, call mom. But if mom's at work, you know, the kid's home by themselves. You know it's their responsibility, but you know that's one of the tough things that um, that's happening. Um, another one is that interaction, that physical interaction of you know getting them to learn in a presence. You know some some students are literally just like show me physically and like near me. I need I need a presence here with me to check on me, double check, triple check on me, and you know other kids can work on their own. They're fine. We're just you know, being able to go on their own, watching a video can, can articulate everything that's happening.
3: I have been a teacher and an assistant principal now for a little over 20 years.
0: That's Robin Seely of Lansing, Michigan.
3: The challenge has been that physical connection that we had with students. Um, I had a little one last year that had gotten himself in trouble and I made him work with somebody and they had to come up with the top three things that each of them liked. And his top thing as an eight year old boy was hugs and I find that out just a couple weeks before this pandemic starts. And you worry about, is he getting that hug? You know, I was the one that when he came in in the morning, I would say, Do you need a hug? And 99% of the time, it was yes. That 1% time, he just wasn't ready for that hug because something had happened at home before he came. And by lunchtime, he would come up, interrupt a group, and say, I need my hug. And so now you worry about that connection that kids may not be getting that we provided for them, you know? And again, like Denzel said, the hands-on learning, you know, how do you get them that experience that we had in the classroom, you know, that you're physically manipulating things to make it work in your classroom. And that becomes a challenge that they're now just seeing it on this overhead, you know, Elmo camera that we've got here and you're, they're watching you do it versus them learning with their hands on you know, but then you go back to, you know, the other kids that just come in during your quote unquote office time and they just want to chat. You know, they just want that one-on-one time with you that again, they may not be getting because parents are overwhelmed with what's happening in their worlds, you know, and trying to make ends meet. And so now you become that one that's giving them that time to do it. And then again, you have them on Wednesday. Hey, can I come in tomorrow and just chat with you? Okay, sure. You know, come on in and we'll, you know, take care of that. So there are some pluses to what's happening and having to go to the virtual world. But again, we're missing that physical connection that we had with the kids.
4: My name is Sean Patterson and I teach in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I have taught in this area or nearby for the last 14 years. We kind of have a unique experience here at my school because we are hybrid this year. So we have some kids in house. We have probably 60% of them at home. And it's, it's been a very interesting first half of the year or so, uh, getting, them, getting them all engaged and keeping them either online for the entire time to teach uh, and also teaching the kids in-house at the same time. It's, it's, a, it's a big balancing act. I think by far the biggest challenge that my colleagues have faced have been, like Denzel mentioned... Um, Not being able to control the home environment of the students and not being able to uh, get those laptops open and get the meat plugged into and get online and, and live in our session. And it's, it's unfortunate because they are missing out on so much when they are absent for just one of those meets. Because one absence turns into many when they get comfortable not doing that. And you can reach out to parents, but most of them are working. We still make it fun.
2: Um, you know. Even, even them, they still bring their same joy and energy uh, to the classroom as if they were there, uh, even when they're home. So you know they, they, we do a lot of fun things like on our zooms where they change the filters and, and they have the glasses come down over their faces and they, and they play with the emojis and they still make the class fun and you know' that's, that's the, the love that I have for teaching. Um, that for these students to still be able to be themselves and for them if they're able to get laughter out of it and and still overcome these obstacles and still be able to get on and still be responsible for themselves and hey i still need to show up for class if they understand that now um you know that just shows that they are growing you know mentally and maturely um for themselves to go to their to the next level um, and I, I love to see it every single time that when they get on that, that I have literally over 80%, 80% of my kids on, um, every single day and submitting their work and asking questions and getting in into breakout rooms with their friends because, oh my God, I don't have a cell phone. So I would love to get in a breakout room with my friend and talk and, and conversate. And so they love that kind of thing. And I, I, I love it too. You take me back to the school days, man.
1: <laughs> it's been a while, but that's uh, pretty deep. Um, you know the fact that COVID has affected relationships almost. It's causing you to have to deal with bad relationships and good relationships. Like w- whatever that space is at home is is tough for children. Just like you said, it's it's where everything is going on. A lot of kids going to school was was their safe ground mm-hmm. and their safe space and their and, and their food and their you know just. All of those
2: things. It, it's, it's, it's their home away from home when they're in a the building. And it's like, it's like yeah, I know I'm going to see Mr. Smith every day during third period, and he's going to play his Michael Jackson every time we walk in the classroom. That's, that's just something that we do. And, you know, they moonwalk into the classroom or something like that. And, you know, it's, it's those kind of um, things that they do that make the day fun and memorable still. And, you know, yeah, they're getting away from, you know, being at home for how many times because most of the day they're at school, eight hours a day they're at school. So we mostly have them anyway. And then when summer hits, yeah, we miss seeing them grow. And then they come back taller, bigger, faster, stronger. And we're just like, oh, man, where did the time go? And then we have them for another eight, nine months, you know. So it's. Again, we miss their physical connection and them being like our family, and because we're watching them grow through our, right in front of our eyes. and as you know the light bulb hits on if they get a question right, or they finally get that math problem right. Like boom, Eureka, uh, yeah, I got it now. And those are the kind of things that I just miss seeing in the classroom.
3: But then I will say some of the positive is you had some of those more challenging students that got themselves in trouble on the playground because I'm the tough and rumble one. And now that's been removed from them. I had a little boy in my room and there was one that was across the hall in the other third grade. And they, for the most part, really disliked each other last year because of playground behavior. But now they've both seen each other in a different light and realize how similar they are now both of them being very high academic. And now when you say, what small group do you wanna go to? What breakout room do you wanna go to? Those two want to be together constantly, but they don't have those outside influences of that playground behavior where this is the rough and tumble sports kid, and this is more the book kid. They're now seeing each other for who they truly are.
0: I have to say, Robin, the, the point around the different strengths and how they play out in different learning spaces really resonates. So. I spend time outside of Learn Fresh working with this performing arts organization in Madison, Wisconsin. And during the summer, this group goes on tour and they actually perform like, it's basically like a super athletic marching band. The space is called Drum Corps International. And the students who normally are, are recognized as those who excel in that space are students who are really like physically capable, super athletic. In the digital environment, suddenly it's been completely flipped. And like the students that are very intellectual and the students that are like, very um, like committed and, and consistent and they show up regularly and they're willing to speak out and be verbal. Um, that has now become the strength because we've done this whole remote learning program. So I can definitely see that shift too, even at the older level.
4: I'm seeing students who, when you call on them in person in a classroom, they freeze up because everybody's looking at them and everybody is paying attention to you, and boy, do I not want to mess up. Now they have that protection of the computer screen. Maybe their camera's not even on, but they're now responding, they're now participating because 28 pairs of eyes are not on them to answer that math question. And, 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 they 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 feel like they have the time and and now they have uh now they have a voice that doesn't waver. It's you know when they're ready to answer they'll answer and and it's just me looking at them through through the meat and that's it. So it's allowed a lot of my students uh to break out of shells uh and to become uh, you know more active participators in my class Uh, All all the while, the other ones are still doing that, too, because uh, because they love to talk and they love to to type and text. Um, But those other ones who who don't feel uncomfortable anymore because because they're not in, in a room with the eyes is has been a has been a huge, a huge thing for me to be able to to hear them to hear really to hear them for the first time participating in class. And that's been great.
2: just the technology aspect too like our kids didn't have laptops at all and like we went through that whole stage of having to not only just get them laptops but showing them how to work it and you know that was all through virtual because we we've been virtual since the go and that was very tough very very tough
4: yeah, the skills the kids are learning on the fly here to be able to to be able to do all these things. I mean, it's it's what we're all doing for a living, and and they're at their age learning how to do all the stuff that you know their their parents and and really the the world's workforce um, who are at home are, are using too.
3: They're now teaching us because I, I get to the point that it's like, well, how do I do that? And they're like, oh, go up to the right hand corner and you click this, and then you do this, and you add this, and it's like huh what they're willing to more go in and explore those computers and all those tech things. And we so much are hesitant. Cause we're, I gotta get the, you know, I gotta get this done. I gotta get this done. And we're working uh, more on academics and trying to get that piece out where they're playing with them. And they're playing with, like you said, Denzel, the emojis and the, you know, this and yeah, how you do a poll seriously. and how you do, how I share a screen Still and how do I get the audio out. going. <laughs> so they're even learning more and now teaching us how to use what we're teaching with
1: yep because the kids they're they're in the gaming world you know this is the this you know fortnite minecraft 2k madden you name it all those games that the kids play all it is is making them understand technology better because most of the time the kids are better than the games before we are i mean you know for the adults that are gamers still like the kids they know it better you can ask a kid how to do this and They'll know. I remember when I upgraded my phone. It was a student who told me how to use the portrait mode. She's like, "This is how you got to do it," and I was like, "Wow!" So right, we're it's just the same thing happening. The kids are teaching and learning, learning everything you know on the fly, and uh, letting us know how old we are, <laughs> or, or how old we're getting. <laughs>
2: I'm, not, I'm not old. You're old. <laughs> I'm, you know, I meant I'm wiser. You know, I meant wiser. Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> that's what i said to again. i'm not
2: old you're old <laughs>
0: <laughs> the points around overcoming adversity and just having to figure out a new scenario and your point around denzel around having to figure out the digital learning experience unexpectedly from the beginning and that's been what you've been doing and adapting the whole time there's so much power in that from a learning experience just thinking about how this entire year is going to shape a generation of students in their ability to be more flexible and be more willing to accept change and be more willing to adapt on the fly that's a really powerful skill set like that's arguably just as if not more important than a lot of the academic things that they're learning when they get out into the real world
2: Yeah, they could all put that on their resume they're good pandemic child <laughs> pandemic student <laughs> we adapt they adapted and they totally have a hundred percent and to say that they overcome and you know or Overcome and flourished or just overcame is is a feat in itself. And, you know, they all deserve to be pat on their back for sure.
1: It's clear that the pandemic has served to flip the classroom on its head, which has spurred innovation and learning across the board. And in some specific cases has resulted in unexpected advancements for education.
2: So I the, the whole laptop situation is a keep. You know, I feel like they they definitely just eliminated the snow day. <laughs> so yeah. it, it's it's there's no more snow days Sorry, for these kids. <laughs> kids. And so the snow day is going to die with us. <laughs> Literally, like, wow. it, it really has, though. So, um, you know, we'll be able to, they'll be able to still have work, and we'll still be able to teach. You know, for us, snow days were fun, too, I feel like, and we, we would appreciate it. Um, but... You know, we're still able to deliver information, and we're still able to deliver content to them in their environment, um, so they would know. I'm sure many, um, many districts and states are going to now implement, um, you know, that into their curriculum, where no matter what, they'll still have their assignments online. That is absolutely, you know, pushing it forward, pushing. Pushing technology forward, pushing education forward, and technology's not going anywhere. So, why, why are we holding ourselves back? Um, and, and I think we definitely need to push forward in that aspect.
3: I'm gonna agree with, with Denzel there, and the keeping is the technology piece. You know, that having these computers, and now that every student has the computer, and you know, like in our building last year, we had to share with three classrooms, but now every one of my students has their own device. And a good working device that's there and keeping those so that when we do come back, that everybody has that ability right then to do the research that we need to do and having the availability of that. But the thing that I think we still are fighting as a society is how much we as teachers still really are doing. You know, we're getting a lot of heat of, you know, these teachers, you know, they're only working three hours a day. No, sit down with me on a Sunday night that I'm spending 10 hours either spending my money to buy a resource to be able to put online for them to, you know, learn how to do their, you know, log multiplication or, you know, some kind of reading passage that needs to get out there or, you know, looking for the resources for them to read the books online. The public still we have to get that acceptance.
4: I think the easy, the easy keep is the technology, like everyone's saying. Um, for for my school in particular, though, we have had some staffing challenges. Once the faculty realized that we were going to have students in the building, uh, we had a lot of turnover because some teachers did not want to take that unknown risk uh, of uh, whether the uh, PPE was really. Gonna work if you were working in a in a in a classroom with with a large-ish number of students. Um, and and we needed to make uh, some some increases in staffing. And that obviously cost money. Uh, the agency did a great job in taking care of it as best they could, but just that we sort of continue to understand that schools can become understaffed so quickly. And that from your classroom teachers to your aides, to your counselors, to the nurses in the health department, to your administrative assistants in the office, to your admin, they have to be there in order to provide the right quality of education uh to all of your students and if you lose a guidance counselor or if you lose a reading specialist that's a large number of kids who no longer get served um with with what is with what's you know helping them uh to become you know and to reach their full potential to become what they want to become uh when they grow up so uh continue to to continue to fund the the right amount of staffing and it's it's hard and i understand that um But the, the, you know, it, it needs to be, it needs to be a priority.
3: We're virtual until at least January 25th, you know, so these students will have been out almost a full year of school. And some of them we haven't seen because of whatever's happening at home. How are we going to support them? And what other resources are we going to bring into our buildings to help support them being, you know, some of them were a year behind last year when we left and now they're another year behind. So now we have a two-year gap. How are we going to support them and what kind of resources are we going to bring into our buildings to help support and kind of close those gaps for, to help them with homework, you know, to help catch up? Do we have enough people in our buildings to support closing that gap even more than we had before all of this started?
0: Yeah, that resource question is so poignant and it resonates a lot with us. Um, you know, you all on the ground right now, are doing so much and anyone in the world who thinks that educators work three hours a day is out of their mind. (laughs) Um, but you know, that's, that's one component and, and then looking sector wide as well. I mean, it's just a constant struggle, even for an organization like ours that's built up over the years, we're still scratching and clawing for any, every penny that we can get to do the work. And we've obviously made significant progress against that, but still as a whole, Almost every institution, whether it's a nonprofit or a school or a charter or an out-of-school time program in this sector, feels under-resourced. And that's a societal issue, and hopefully we can do some work against that coming out of this. I, don't, I can't say that I'm necessarily optimistic. I'm probably more realistic, but I, I'm hopeful that we can continue to make some good progress against that.
4: one thing that I I wish would would change is uh, for people to stop calling them a lost generation uh, because everybody is going through this. And uh, I think it sort of sort of cuts into the what we're doing. We're still teaching and, and we're doing our best and they're still learning. You know, we we may have Millions of students who have been lost uh, since people have since schools have gone virtual, but there are so many more millions who are who are uh, you know continuing to learn and, and continuing to get through the year. And when uh, you know when you call it a lost generation, it it, it hurts a little, and uh, it, and it weighs on you. And it and some kids hear it and get it, and, and I I just don't think it's true. I mean, we're we're all going through this. And uh, we just need to understand that in the end um, gains have been made and, and we just need to move on from there and, and not, uh, not sort of write this off, not, not give us a free pass.
0: Yeah, I think that's an awesome point. And if you think back to moments throughout our history, even just going back, you know, a hundred years, you know, there's a whole generation of teenagers and 20 somethings who lost years of their life lost quote unquote by going off to war we had you know a generation that lived through nine eleven and a lot of the trauma of the economic crisis and obviously this is very different and in some ways impacts students directly in a really different way but i think we have as a society have been really resilient and, and kids can be incredibly resilient and i think your point around not discounting that is important while also balancing the the challenges the very real challenges that do exist appreciate that it really
1: makes me think about everybody here right now um you know, teachers are special. Um, Entering the education space, I noticed that people would always say things like, how can you deal with all these kids? How can you come back every day? Like, just, like, there there were these questions about my character and my integrity about being a teacher, which... I held on really tight like this is this is what I want to do this is my dream this is my passion to uh, keep kids excited about learning to to uh, inspire them to be whoever they want to be and the fact that you know I've met all of you all here and all of you all have that same thing man it's like you all have the same like special spot in your in your heart for children um, whatever vehicle you're using, you use it well. Um, I lo- Sean, I love how you said to, to erase that, that language, the lost generation. Like, you know, I've even, I've, I, I believe I've probably said it a few times. Like, you know, these kids are lost. Like, you know, when, when really they're, they're not, there's a challenge, there's a challenge and we all have to step up in that challenging space, you know, you probably heard it takes a village to raise a child, okay? The village is the whole school, like the community. Everyone needs to, you know, probably give give our buddy a, a little hug, Robin. We all need to, you know, or fist bop, whatever it takes, you know. A, a, we all have to dig in and find out what our kids need. And it is hard, it is challenging, and it is draining for, for those that say we only work three hours <laughs> or to say that we we don't care that's what it really when we're when things are said like that it's like to to challenge someone's passion is you don't do that <laughs> you just don't um, we'll lay
0: it out we'll lay it all out on the line for our kids. As we publish this episode, President Biden has signed a $1.9 trillion stimulus bill that will allocate a further $130 billion to K-12 schools, bringing total K-12 pandemic aid to nearly $200 billion. Most of the new funding will be focused on helping schools reopen. I think it's important to call out the difference between this stimulus bill and the money it will provide to dig us out of the pandemic and the broader state of funding across education, which is generally inadequate. And so if we're talking about what schools need, what educators need, what students need to truly address the underlying inequities, then we're not talking about simply getting back to par from before the pandemic. We're really talking about a whole other level of investment in education, far beyond what the stimulus bill offers. The stimulus will fill the gap caused by the pandemic to some extent, but isn't an investment that fuels longer term improvement in K-12. And to be clear, this is a claim that folks are making across other industries and sectors but we have to decide what we value as a society. Prioritizing education should always be near the top of the list.
1: This month, we wrapped up two NBA math hoops regional tournaments. The Golden State Warriors regional tournament featured 16 teams from across the Bay Area and came down to the championship game between Team Chaos and Team ET. Team ET came out on top with LeBron James shooting 100% from the field. Next up was the Sacramento Kings Regional Math Hoops Tournament presented by NBC Sports, featuring eight teams from across the city. Team Math Kings and Team Unstoppable faced off in the championship game, with Team Unstoppable claiming the victory in overtime. Shout out to Team E.T. and Team Unstoppable for their regional championship victory. The Learn Fresh podcast is produced by our very own Nick Monzi and Sumner Becker, with additional production assistance from Caitlin Woodward. Sumner Becker also does our engineering,
0: editing, and music. If you'd like to learn more about Learn Fresh, visit us at learnfresh.org or on social media where our handles are at learn underscore fresh and at nbamathoops. Or you can send us an email at podcast at learnfresh.org. We love emails. And if you like what you heard today, give the podcast a rating and a review. Five stars only though. <laughs> the Learn Fresh podcast is part of the Side Audio Network an audio community founded by Jeremiah Ote and Naranjan Kumar.
1: Shout out to Jeremiah
4: of the Lone Prince family.
0: (laughs) The Side Audio Network hosts podcasts that aim to transfer trust between people and communities through storytelling and conversation.